Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. A very happy Saturday afternoon to you. Our first show in April. April 2nd, 2022. It is 111 in the afternoon here. Thanks so much for listening to Let's Get Legal Powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. You heard there we got two great guests today. In fact, a third one as well in our bonus extra half hour in the three o'clock hour up till basketball. We're going to talk to the dean of the University of Illinois. And we've got the question of the day too. 312-981-7200 in the next 15 years. Illinois taxpayers on the hook for $2.8 million for what? I will say we have had some guesses over the past couple of weeks of transportation or construction. It's not that. It's not toilet paper, which was a great guess. It's not interest. Uh, it's something that's uh, in the news pretty frequently, especially recently, and it uh, has to do with legal things, too. Uh, before I get to some of the answers, and by the way, keep on getting on the phone lines, 312-981-7200, I'm going to sprinkle in a couple stories, uh, legal stories from the week that you may have missed. And one of the big ones came out of Washington yesterday. don't know if you heard about the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. They love their acronyms in Washington, the MORE Act. The U.S. House of Representatives yesterday passed the bill to end the federal ban on marijuana. It passed 220 to 204, a couple Republicans joining the unanimous Democrats in the measure. Um, but I know a lot of people, some celebrating, some against it. This is not a done deal. In fact, far from it. The U.S. Senate will have to gain about 60 votes, at least 60 votes, to get this thing passed in the U.S. Senate. That seems unlikely before the president would or would not sign it. It's interesting because I saw a lot of people up in arms about, you know, that were against this saying this forces states to legalize marijuana. But I do just want to add, as I was reading through the text and some of the reaction uh, from the lawmakers, is that the bill actually doesn't force any state to legalize marijuana. As I'm sure a lot of you know, the federal government still classifies cannabis as illegal and has no medical use And 37 states have actually legalized it in some form, with 13 still banning it entirely. And that provides a really strange legal juxtaposition where our defense, or excuse me, our Department of Justice classifies it one way, yet your local governments classify it another way. And I also read, interestingly enough, that, uh, well, of course, that U.S. banks can't really uh, take part in cannabis business. They're largely blocked for it. But also, there is research that cannot be done because Certain firms are not allowed to study the drug and its impact because it's banned federally. Some of our federal institutions are not allowed to research it in a medical way. So this bill aims to get rid of that federal classification. Again, just passed the House yesterday. That's one legal story you may have missed. We'll get to a couple others throughout the program today. But again, we hope to get an answer to the question of the day. Illinois taxpayers on the hook for $2.8 million over the next 15 years. Really not all that much, but let's go to Elise. Elise, how are you doing here this afternoon? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. What's your guess to the question of the day? My guess was the red light cameras. Oh, like the implementation of them, the maintenance of doing them, and then we all pay for them way more than that? (laughs) Yes. It's a great guess. It's not the answer. I'm sorry, Elise. Okay, thank you. That's okay. We'll have a few more chances to guess the correct question. If you get it right, you're going to get a $50 gift card to the 5050 Restaurant Group to be used at any one of their 14 fantastic establishments all over Chicago, including Roots Pizza and West Town Bakery. Love the 5050 Restaurant Group. 312-981-7200 if you have any guesses. I'll give you a clue because this question's been going on. Well, with the two weeks off that we had, it's been going on for like a month. It's something in the news it was really in the news when I introduced the question a month ago, and obviously it has to do with something legal. 
we're on the hook for $2.8 million over the next 15 years here in Illinois. Seven twenty WGN. Hey everyone, this is Let's Get Legal. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, and he's made his way over. He brought the fedora, brought the computer, plugged it on in from Studio A to Studio D. Stephen, how you doing, my friend? I'm, I'm just great, John. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's always great to have you on. You're an expert at all things taxes. Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. Having said that, of course, if you have a question and you don't quite know the answer, how could you know every answer out there, by the way, Stephen? I don't well, know how anyone does. <laughs> You'll do the work to find it out. That's uh, true. And I love the, I love answer, I love questions I don't know the answer to, because then I could, uh, it gives me a reason to look it up, and I'm always interested in that. Right. And at uh, WGNTaxman.com is where you can always go for more information. You and I, uh, well, you came in during the break, we were talking about the new law that the House passed, which yeah. likely won't happen in the Senate. And you mentioned there are interesting tax implications for people who are in the even the legal weed business, right? Exactly, because right now they, if you're in a legal uh, marijuana business, you cannot deduct your expenses, valid expenses, uh, uh, because of a, there's a national uh, federal law that prevents uh, drug dealers from deducting their uh, expenses. Right, and so that's it's kind of odd. So since um, the federal government doesn't recognize it as a legal thing to sell. They say you cannot it's deduct It's like from the it. class, uh, I, I don't remember exactly, the class two, um, uh, the way they classify right. drugs. It's it, it falls into that classification, and because it's in that classification, there's the law that says that you can't deduct, drug dealers can't deduct their expenses. That's crazy. And I know that, it's because we've talked in the past, that even if you are doing something illegal, the government wants you to report that income, right? <laughs> they, so they'll take the tax. And then they won't allow you to take the deduction. Exactly. exactly. And again, that causes a lot of problems. I think you mentioned that a lot of uh, marijuana dealers also have a problem with having a bank account. Right. right? And they, they won't, a lot of the charge cards, you can't use a charge card there. And so, uh, and that all goes back to what we were just talking about. Yeah, we're in this nebulous zone where many states have legalized it either completely or for medicinal use. But the federal government still sits there. I mean, it's just so weird to think that someone could theoretically be arrested by the feds for doing something that is completely legal and normal in their state. Exactly. Yeah, that's weird. Three one two ninety one seventy two hundred. Get those questions in. And uh, where I mean, where do you want to start today, Stephen? We're a couple days away from tax day, and here's I guess a question where I want to start because so many of the people that you help are people that haven't maybe filed their taxes in a long time, right? And either the IRS has contacted them or they're starting to want to fess up because they're sick of losing sleep Mm -hmm. at night over it. Well, nobody wants to live like that. First off, you can't get a, you won't be able to get a a loan. You can't buy a home, can't get a car, right? Because I haven't filed my tax returns. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to get a loan if you haven't filed your tax returns. The two things that really drive people, uh, well, three, one is the IRS. (laughs) They'll drive you to get your taxes done. Right. Second one is uh, people getting married. Uh, yeah. So then they're thinking, you know, their spouse, they don't want the spouse to have the worry or the spouse says, I ain't marrying you unless you take care of this problem. Right. Right. <laughs> and then and then the, that's the other one, the, you know, the uh, um, making you making people uh, getting a house, buying yeah. a home. Right. And that's really it. I just, you know, and I know that some people that pay their taxes on time every year might roll their eyes and wonder how the heck you can't do it. But it, it happens. There's people that don't. They There's maybe legit reasons they forget. Maybe it was a really tough time and they just slipped their mind. Maybe they didn't want to. They were afraid they, they were going to owe money. They didn't have that money. 
and there's concerns. So I imagine when they call you, when they reach out to you, it's a judgment-free zone, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, again, a lot of people like, uh, I had someone in the other day, and, and I told them, you know, yeah, I've heard this. I thought I was the only one. Right. Because everybody thinks they're the only one. that. But, yeah, it's a very common problem. Uh <laughs> My eye's not common enough. <laughs> well, you want to... you're, so, you're mad when I say that I filed my taxes on time every single year? Uh, and, and that you don't owe the IRS money, okay? So well, I appreciate your honesty, Stephen, that you uh, – yes, exactly. But, but I mean, ultimately, your goal is to get someone back in compliance exactly. because it is really – can be a messy – and it only gets messier as it goes further, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And you know what happens uh, – again, most of my clients are running their own business. And if you're trying to run your own business and you have this – tax problem you they tend to let their business slide because they're not you know uh, i'm not going to be able to do this so my goal is to help people solve their problem and then help their business grow Mm -hmm. right because you found a niche it's hard enough to find a business that's profitable when you find one you should protect it with Mm. everything and that means making sure that and again Get in compliance with the IRS and then come up with a plan and let your business grow and don't don't uh, let it go. How many years do you get a grace period? Let's say someone didn't file last year and they're worried the IRS is going to knock on their door. Are they in that point? I mean, maybe they could. Where, do you get some time? The or answer what? is it depends, okay. right? Because a lot of times, if I'm in business for myself they and nobody's reporting, and this is what the bank re- statement reporting is all about in this Build Back Better plan, right? They want The IRS wants to be able to go into everybody's bank account to see if you're getting money that you're not reporting. Mm-hmm. Because how else do they know? Right. So if I'm, a, if I'm a carpenter and people are hiring, hiring me to go to their house and fix things, um, how would the IRS know that you got that money? Right. You Let's know? also note that the Build Back Better Act did not pass. It did not pass. And it doesn't look like it's going anywhere right now. That's true. But that's what the, But And again, one of the reasons was because everybody is against that the bank statement thing. Yeah. But we, we talked about the Venmo thing that that's what. Yeah. But again, it's really about reporting, right? The IRS is trying to get people to make to find out where who's getting money that's not reporting it. Right. And that's what that's all about. But, you know, and, and uh, if... But if the IRS knows that you haven't filed it, and so if you get 1099s, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people don't realize, right? When you get a 1099, they, your that business sends it to you, but it also sends it to the IRS. Right, right. They know what's going on. Exactly. So, but that's why I wonder, like how. How can someone become delinquent for three, four, five years? Doesn't the IRS know? Shouldn't they be reaching okay, so, out immediately? So they, like, how do they do it? First off, it right, it does take them some time to even get it out. They're much better now than they were five years ago, ten years ago. You know, it used to take them many years to come after people, and I've seen them now coming after people within two years. Okay. You know? uh, and remember, now the IRS also has another um, another tool or to come after you with, and it's called a uh, SFR, Substitute for Return, right? So if they have all my 1099s and I haven't filed my tax returns, they'll file them for me. Really? Yes. Now this is not a. It's it's not. It seems a serv- very gracious of it, them. It's not a service, right? Oh. It's a penalty because they will they will definitely uh, exaggerate what you owe, but. But now you owe it, and they won't deduct anything from it. They, they don't, they don't give you any deductions. They don't give you any exemption. No, you know. So and what do they just send you a bill after they filed exactly, it for you? Exactly. Do they send you a refund if you get it too? 
they wouldn't file your tax return if they you're going to get a refund. They won't tell you that. Uh. Now that's another thing we could talk about is about the uh, you know in 2018. Now the IRS just put out a the number. There's 1.5 million people who have a refund coming that did not file their tax returns in for 2018. And they're not mailing every person saying, "Oh, we owe you." That's right. They won't. And so after this this date is coming up is going to be the three year anniversary of when it was due. And after that anniversary, you don't get that refund. Mm-hmm. Even if you file your tax return. Right. I want to pause here to make sure people understand what we just said. You're saying that the government owes, will owe people who have not filed those tax returns from 2018, meaning the 2017 income year, or the 2018, no, 2018, the 2018 income. So if it was due in February or April of 2019, correct. If you didn't file it and you, think you might have a refund coming do not wait another moment and you're saying there's a million and a half people a million and a half people totaling 1.5 billion dollars throughout the nation so there's a lot of money out there so there can be reward for people that not a reward for not having filed but there people might be sitting on money that's not being given to them because they're too afraid to file their taxes or or, or whatever reason or just lazy so Mm -hmm. i had a guy i have a guy who's a w-2 employee and he uh hasn't filed his taxes returns in five years so he came to me last month and i'm glad he did right because from 2018 he had five thousand dollars coming and he had money from 2017 and 2016 he's not getting that money too late yeah. So if you think it's like a, uh, a you know, well, I, I can always file this and it's like a bank account, savings account. It isn't. Do you then have to talk to the IRS and give a reason for why it's this late? Do they, could they potentially punish that person? Could they do it? Or are they just appreciative when the people come to them? I'm smiling because they're not, they don't appreciate anything. They don't say thank you, right? Because if you don't file and you owe them, they say thank you by penalizing you, right? Right. With money, you're paying money. So what I'm saying is if this person owed money instead of was getting money oh, and, and the person that got in this person who got money, is he going to be taxed a little on doing it late or no? no. No, okay. you don't get, but you don't get any interest either. Okay, right. So you, so you've just get let the IRS ha- have that money for three years, and that you could have got three years ago, and now you can get it, but they're not giving you any interest. I guess here's a broader point I'm trying to ask: If someone is afraid to file taxes because they haven't done it for a few years, I know someone listening right mm-hmm. now is under that circumstance. First, no judgment. Everyone's got mm-hmm. stuff they got to do in their lives. Okay, so my worry is if I'm one of those people. I'm even afraid to do it because that acknowledges that I haven't done it, and I'm worried the feds are going to arrest me or not. And what do you say? Okay, so having unfiled tax returns, it is a crime Mm -hmm. not to file your tax return, and you can go to jail for one year for every year you haven't filed. Now, having said that. Almost nobody does. Almost nobody gets put in prison for not filing their tax returns. Uh, And so that's that's not... Again, people fear. What happens is that they get kind of paralyzed right. because they haven't done it for sometimes, and then they're even afraid to even look at it. Right. And so when they, I, I can't tell you how many people come to see me, and they they have all this mail from the IRS. They haven't opened it. Yeah, they're scared because they're scared. That's it's like going to the dentist. That's correct, Stephen. And then correct. you think something's wrong, and then you become even more fearful that you're going to get the news that you dread. But you need to do it because they're going to be more forgiving. Exactly. If you. Stephen and yes. your client go together to fix this problem, right? Well, you know, you got to do the first thing you got to do when you have an IRS problem. That's uh, a good tease. Okay. We're going to pause it right there. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, Stephen. We got the news. And your questions, 312 981 7200. I really, 
If there's one thing I want this show to accomplish today is if you're sitting there and you haven't filed your taxes, we're going to hold each other's hands. We're going to hold Stephen Leahy's hands. He's a great guy, and we're going to get this sell for you. 720 WGN. Hey, it's John Hanson. Let's get legal. Powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. It's so great to be here after a couple Saturdays off for NCAA basketball, which we will have at 3.30. It's nice to be back on the air here for Let's Get Legal. Steven, you were just on Your Money Matters this week answering I questions. Was, yeah. It's tax season. Everyone wants to get him in now. Uh, and that's great. We appreciate it. By the way, Stephen, uh, I know you listen to the show a lot. You're curious about this question of the day. You mind if I get a couple calls no, that we hopefully get an answer? I uh, want to know the answer. I know. You're, <laughs> you're, you want to know, too. So here was the question. In the next 15 years, Illinois taxpayers on the hook for $2.8 million for what? The exact number is $2,817,910. And again, over 15 years, that's not they spend a lot more on a lot of other things. It's not that much. It's a very specific answer. Let's go to Susan. Susan, thanks for holding. You're on Let's Get Legal. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. You sound confident, Susan. I Well, I think I am. Okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, now as I'm staying on longer, I'm going, oh. But I think it's that whole unemployment debacle. Which one? Like, oh, that, that more people got paid than they should have, or there were scams? Yes. That's, yep, exactly. I... I, there was a lot of mess there. I bet it's worth more than $2.8 million. It's a great guess, Susan. It's just not the answer to the question of the day. I'm sorry. I'm so bummed. Oh. <laughs> Susan, I'm sorry. Will you recover? Will you keep listening, please? I will. I will not turn this off. <laughs> I will still listen. Thanks, Susan. I appreciate it. You'll get it next time. Let's go to Jack. Jack, you're on WGN. Hey, Jack. Hello. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, except it's heavily snowing up in the northwest suburbs where are you calling from hawthorne woods oh i mean how what what kind of heavy snowing like january february big snowflakes uh heavy snowfall absolutely yep oh. it's covered it's completely covered the grass oh my gosh all right well here we are in april that's our april fool's joke for chicago we're still <laughs> dealing with this all right jack what's your guess 2.8 million dollars over the next 15 years for what I'm guessing that that is the liability for Mike Mike Madigan's pension for the next years. And that is the answer to the question of the month, as it has taken a month to get that answer right. Yes, I total up what Mike Madigan will make in pension over the next 15 years, at least as of now. Well, the wait how these court proceedings pay out, but it comes out to $2,817,910. Jack, congratulations, you're winning the prize. Stay on the line, okay? Thank you. All right. He's getting a $50 gift card to the 5050 Restaurant Group to be used at any one of their 14 fantastic establishments all over Chicago, including Roots Pizza and Westtown Bakery. Ah, feels good to answer that, doesn't it, Stephen? Even if we don't like the answer. It's a nice pension. Yeah, not too bad. Exactly. Still goes up and up. We will leave that where it is, though, Stephen Leahy. Continue to talk about taxes. Ed, we're going to get to your question in a second, so don't hang up. But we were just talking about this idea of not paying, the guilt that's associated with it. What can you do? And we got some great questions on the line, including, I haven't filed in four years. And as I say, four years, right up on a deadline that you were talking about, getting revenue back. Or, uh, But this person says, I didn't get any of those stimulus checks, right, that were coming out three of them in total, will I get those when I file? The answer is yes. 
The IRS says that you, you have that money coming. It's not taxable. They, they decided they weren't going to tax that money. And uh, if you had a tax return and they knew that's how they got you the money, right? They right. looked at your tax return. If they had your banking account, they put it in your bank account. Right. Or if they didn't, then they sent you a check. Right. So now they're just waiting for you to file your tax return. If you file your tax return, you will get the money. So it's just like everyone else says. I had a problem where they, the government gave didn't give me a little bit of money because they said that you know the household was too much but it turns out I filed the 2020 we didn't make as much and exactly. then I got I got more back because of that exactly Sim- similar circumstances because they, ba- they base it on your previous year and if your income went down the next year then I was entitled to it right had a great question from the 815 and uh, this is a little bit uh, not confusing but let me walk you through it Stephen I haven't filed taxes for 2020 due in 2021 so coming up on a year late, uh, I received approximately twenty six hundred bucks from IDES. What's IDES? Stephen? Illinois Department of Employment Security. Yeah, sorry to quiz you on that <laughs> one. Very good. Uh, but paid full amount back to employer. Uh, paid full amount back to employer who fought it. I think that's what they're saying. I have all documents saying paid in full, but IDES won't correct the ten ninety nine. Do I just lump all these documents together, send them to the IRS? Can I file electronically? This person says they've tried since June 21st to get IDS, IDES to correct it, but no luck. Plus, I'm owed the taxes because uh, paid because I caused it everything because I paid everything back. Sorry, that was a really mm-hmm. long text mm-hmm. answer I read incorrectly. But what do you? This say? happens where people get a 1099 that's an error, and no one will fix it for you. So usually, what I would say to people is. Re- uh, put it down on as income, but then back it out in another place. Okay, what do you on mean? The form. Can you explain that again? Uh, there's places on the form, and I'm not exactly sure if it's for uh, Schedule A or another schedule where you can where you can explain some expenses, right? So maybe I, I report it because I have a 1099. So if I don't put it on my tax return, you will get they'll get you. They because they, it's, it's they have electronic, right? Right. So they they match electronically, and so they'll say, well, where's that 1099 that you received? And he's why. Well, paid it back but they don't know you paid it back right so they'll so so you have to recognize it on your tax return and then maybe on schedule a or some other schedule you could say this was an expense that i expensed it and then you can explain it that way you can type out an explanation exactly and then you can file electronically right now it, it might get flagged because it's an unusual it's unusual so then they could re, they could follow up with you yes and then you've got a person at least yes hopefully and it, and it might be what this is what they call a correspondence audit where yes. where they send you a letter that says here's what you said and here's what we found which why why is your why are you right and then you can give them all your documents say look i paid it you know i reported it again you have to report it right so i reported it but i paid it back so i don't have to pay taxes on that makes sense 312-981-7200 for your questions let's go to ed ed thanks for holding you're on wgn how you doing ed all right i'm doing really well thank you great what's your question i'm in well, I'm in Jefferson Park, and it's just raining. Oh, no, I like I love the reports that are coming in. Yeah, rain in the city, <laughs> snow to the northwest. There we go. What's yeah, your What's your question, yeah, my friend? Yeah. So I have a question related to pensions. It doesn't exactly tie into the Mike Madigan <laughs> thing, but it's my own personal pension. Okay. I have a 403A plan, a defined benefit qualified plan that I'm currently getting distributions from. Okay. So I get, like... $440 a month. At this point, I'm 66. I really don't need the money right now because I'm still working. Okay. What I'd like to do is somehow get that 440 a month into a Roth 
kind of account so that money can accumulate mm-hmm. on a tax-deferred and tax-free basis when I take the money out. Is there a way to do that? Interesting. Well, you just put, can't you just take the money and then put it into a, and put it into the Roth? You can do that. Yeah, because it, you're, you're getting money that is already post-tax in the pension, which That's should right. be eligible for a Roth up to six grand, and you're 66, you said? So I think you even get another... Yeah, but I, think, I, I already fully I already fully contribute to my Roth as a contribution. Uh, what I want to might... do is, yeah, so I get a 1099-R from the pension company, and, um, and so I pay tax on it, which I'm totally fine with, because the money went mm-hmm. in pre-tax mm-hmm. and I get the distribution as a as a taxable distribution mm-hmm. and I just because it's from a qualified plan I'd like to somehow either with a rollover or uh, a conversion or something make those monthly payments yeah. go to a separate account that's a Roth account it could be a 401k Roth or an IRA Roth because I have my own business and I have a lot of flexibility in how I think set things up. Here's my answer. I'm not sure to be honest with you. Yeah, that's a great. Okay. Yeah, because that that is it. That that gets very specific to you, right? And and so th- these are questions that I that I, as I mentioned, I think I, I don't know if I said it on air or if I do- told John, but I like questions that I don't know the answer to, and I'd be happy to sure. try to figure it out. Yeah, uh, and you know I have. I don't. Um, I don't prepare tax returns myself, but I have people who do unbelievable it, yeah. that are really good at it that know this stuff better than I do. Ed, can you uh, sure. hang on? Give your information to our producer Connor. I'm going to give it to uh, uh, Mr. Leahy. Is here. That's also a great question for Your Money Matters, by the way, the other show I host Monday through Thursday uh, at 6 o'clock. And I'm going to try and uh, see if, even after Stephen answers your questions, I bet other people have that one. Get a financial advisor on to see what we can do with that extra money. All right, hang on the line, Ed. We're going to get your information, okay? Will do. Hey, thanks so much. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that's a good question. And I love that he's, hey, I don't want to just have this sit in a checking account, right? We're not earning anything on our interest right yeah, now. And a lot Let's of times, though, the answer is there's not much you can do. You know? Yeah. Especially if you're, uh, after you get older, because you're you're approaching that age when you need to start taking the money you out. You have to take the distribution, <laughs> yes. right? And so. you get a little extra leeway to try and play catch up on retirement, quote unquote. Anyways, uh, WGNTaxman.com, right? WGNTaxman.com. You're not going anywhere. We're just taking a break, and we're going to talk more. 312 98 one seventy two hundred. All your tax questions after this on WGN. Let's get legal. Powered by the Illinois State Bar Association here on WGN. Stephen A. Leahy here. I'm glad everyone did save all the great questions for this show. <laughs> You're on with Hochberg, <laughs> but right. you know, the good ones coming in here. This one's a this one's an intriguing one. Got from the eight four seven. I rolled over roughly twenty thousand from a four hundred one k account at a previous employer into a traditional IRA done through Edward Jones. But people do this through all sorts of big-name companies all the time. I've done it as someone who's worked many jobs. I hated having like 10 401ks or whatever it was, so I put them all in an IRA. Okay, back to this person. Then I received a 1099 for this transaction. In other words, it looks like they had income. They made income. It was 20000 I don't know if that was 20000 on the 1099. Um, the texter wants to know, I was told there was no penalty for this type of conversion, do I ignore the 1099, Stephen? Never ignore it because they have that 1099. And if you don't put it down, they'll just assume that you didn't put it down on purpose. And then you'll get a correspondence audit. Now, 
you might get a correspondence audit anyway because I've had this happen. I had a client who very similar situation. He took he rolled over to a different um, account and got the 1099 and then paid the tax. No, no. And then objected and the IRS gave him the money back. But he took a bunch of money out to pay the tax and then they taxed him on the money he took out and he thought that was unfair. Yeah, and it is kind of unfair, but it's technically it's the way it yeah, should be. Yeah, don't give up your money. Don't take out to exactly. Do it. Exactly, fight it on the front end as opposed to trying to do it after the fact. Exactly, and I'm not. I'm thinking about. I'm trying to think where I would put that on my tax return uh, that I rolled it over. Because again, you can't really just ignore the 1099 right. because the IRS has a copy. But if you of it. just put it on your taxes. You got to have a ledger on the other side. A previous caller, we said, oh, well, you could write that down as, hey, I paid this back to IDES or whatever it is, or my employer. But we can't really do that here because there's been no money out from this tax. That's correct. This Except, sounds like a reach out to you situation. Yeah, call me because I'll, I'll talk to my uh, my tax preparers and they'll have a better answer than and w- exactly where you can back it out on your tax return because there's some place you can do it. Uh, but again, do not ignore the 1099 no. because they're they have it and so you they're going to come after you one way or another. WGNTaxman.com. What's the number? Three one two six six four six six four nine. You really enunciate that phone number. Well, you know, I talk on the, I talk to the IRS a lot, and uh, no, really, yeah, and, and they ask me uh, social security numbers. So when I when I repeat the numbers, I have to be very clear and crisp and clean. Yes, exactly. <laughs> very crisp and clean. You're a professional broadcaster, my friend. At least you, you no, pretend John, to be one. You are a professional broadcaster. <laughs> I don't know about professional. All right, six three zero. It's a little long here, uh, and I'm kind of reading as I go. But uh, this texture says, "My brother passed away last year." First of all, our condolences. Yes. Uh, my brother passed away last year. I am the executor of the estate. We filed a tax return last May, and it was a paper return as I needed to attach his death certificate and my papers showing that I was the executor. He was supposed to get a refund from both the state and the Fed. State contacted me stating that they had sent his refund to the IRS as he owed them money. Additionally, we were requested statuses of his returns and recorded income for the past five years we haven't received anything yet. Questions are, any idea when the IRS will be done playing catch-up, and will we be assessed further penalties for the year that they haven't provided any information? The answer is they're working on it. They just funded the IRS $675 million more million this year to try to catch up. And the IRS is doing, uh, uh, have... They have uh, set up different teams and re- reassigning people to to do these things to get these these matters that are backed up to get them done. The the IRS commissioner has promised. I'm, I'm kind of you're giving a look. <laughs> yeah, kinda, this is not, radio, so you can't give these side looks, Stephen. Expect he's, people he's to know. He's promised that they're going to be done by the end of the year, but whether they are or not is is up in the air. Because because not only they're talking about uh, hiring ten thousand new people, but you have to get the ten thousand people. You have to train those ten thousand people. There's a labor shortage already. And, and, again, so they're going to have a hard, hard time yeah. even finding them. These jobs pay some like twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a year, so it's not a very lucrative job. Right. So it's going to find a. They're going to have a hard time, I think, uh, filling those spots and getting it done by the end of the year. So but this that's person's waiting on them. It'll come, and they shouldn't be penalized for that wait, right? That's, they should not be. Yes. WGNTaxman.com. Now, if I owe the IRS money, and I'm waiting, and I still owe them money, they, yeah, I'm going to pay tax. I'm going to pay interest on that money. But if they're waiting for information because they because uh, they haven't provided some information to them, well, I don't know. Go to it, talk it, dep- to it depends. 
and this is my my catch-all legal answer. It depends. Right. <laughs> we had a couple texters helping us out with the 1099 for the rollover thing. Uh, that it uh, they issue a 1099-R for a rollover. Mm-hmm. If the amount is rolled in an IRA, there's no amount in the taxable box of 1099-R, so you don't report it, it as pension income on your form. And they another texter said, 1099-R should have the letter G in box 7. Okay. See? That's good. Yeah. And that, this, these are your people messaging yes. you, Stephen. Your, your people would have figured <laughs> it out, is, too. No, but this is good. Stephen doesn't know the answer to every single question, people. But, but again, it's true. But I don't know, and you don't know if his 1099-R had a zero where it's right. taxable income. Because as, as I mentioned, I've had this happen to people where they did roll it over and they were taxed. Right. So, And it's, it's an error. One more time, the phone number, Stephen. 312-664-6649. 16 days to tax day. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it as always. Good Thanks to see so you, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun. A very good Saturday afternoon, everyone. It's 2-11 here on WGN. Thanks for joining us on a weather day that is not all that great. <laughs> it's never all that great when it's snowing in April. Uh, for a lot of you, that's the case. Continue to text in those pictures, 312-981-7200. It's, uh, I don't want to say it's always good to see, but I think there's like some collective we're in this together when we can share the pain together. And uh, thanks for listening here on this Saturday afternoon. Really appreciate it. I've got a great show. Neil Gainsburg is going to stop by in just a few minutes to talk about all things life insurance, the questions that you have. Maybe you're too afraid to ask. Maybe you have no idea how it works, right? Like I've heard term and whole life insurance on commercials, on this station, on any station, all the time. Never really start to wonder what the heck those two things mean. Maybe I've been fortunate that I haven't had to worry about that, but boy, I probably should, right? There's probably a lot of you out there that probably should, but you haven't really thought too much about it. Well, today that's uh, homework item number two. Homework item number one was pay your taxes with Stephen Leahy. He'll help you out. Homework item number two is to make sure you're covered in the way you want to be covered, however you want to be covered. Hey, uh, before we move on, and I am going to one more uh, legal story from around the world that you may have missed. I just, as a personal point of privilege, I just to anyone out there that works in the healthcare world, my family has uh, had quite an interesting week and a scare in the family, and all is well now. But the uh, crews and the amazing people at all hospitals, specifically St. Francis in Evanston and Resurrection on the northwest side. If you happen to work there, you're driving in or you're listening or you know someone that does, a big thank you to them uh, from the Hanson family on uh, what's been a uh, kind of a crazy week in our lives. But really appreciate everything they've done and uh, everything's are looking up and up. Okay, so stories you may have missed in the legal world include this one that came out uh, yesterday that U.S. prosecutors have found evidence that Russian oligarchs are trying to evade sanctions put in place to pressure Moscow to stop their invasion into the Ukraine. There's a new Justice Department task force they've created called Klepto Capture. And basically, oligarchs who even haven't been been sanctioned yet are already trying to funnel money into other places. They're trying to hide their yachts, their planes, their other property in countries that they believe to be secretive. What they may know, but uh, what the government is saying here in the United States and abroad is that this is such a unified effort that the places to hide these yachts or planes are getting narrower and narrower as the nations unite against what Russia has done in Ukraine. The task force goal is to put the finances of Russian oligarchs under a strain in a bid to pressure Putin to cease his weeks-long assault. 
and uh, they're doing well. They have this shared sense of uh, purpose, they say, but the Justice Department says that there are some long legal fights ahead. In the coming weeks, we're going to have an international law expert on. We talked to her before the invasion, or excuse me, right as the invasion was starting. And I want to have a follow-up conversation a couple months into the invasion about her advice then and now and also going after these oligarchs. It's something we'll be continuing to track. But I found it interesting that there's an official tax fo- task force called Klepto Capture. So they're working on it, trying to make sure that those oligarchs aren't able to hide those yachts as they shouldn't be able to do. All right, we're going to have Neil Gainsburg on after this. Start getting your questions in, 312-981-7200. Anything about life insurance after this on WGN. 720 WGN on our rainy, icy, or snowy, depending on where you are, Saturday afternoon here on WGN. It's 218. This song gets me in a good mood. Good pick, Connor. Appreciate that. Iridian, our normal producer, is in Dallas. She's doing some wrestling tournament thing. If you don't know Iridian and follow her on social media, I'll have to get her handle. She's our normal producer, not only for uh, this show, Let's Get Legal, but Your Money Matters as well. She also has a wrestling podcast. She's so into it and is posting some incredible stuff from there. But Connor McKnight doing a great job behind the glass today. Neil Gainsburg, have I stalled long enough to get those headphones on for you, my friend? Yes. <laughs> They're a novelty, but I figured it out. They're a little, yours are harder than mine. I just, right when we came on and Neil wanted to put the uh, cans on, you were having a little difficulty with that. So I stalled long enough, Neil. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> and, now you're gl- like, and now you're like, why did I call you out on it? <laughs> but I'm glad to be here, and that's yeah. a good way to start the show. I yeah, yes. it's always great to have you. You always kind of open our eyes to a lot of things, whether it was health insurance. We talked about that a couple times. Plenty of other things as well. And today, we want to focus a little bit on life insurance. And I know some people might roll their eyes and go, really? But I don't think a lot of people know exactly what they have, what they might need, how it may be denied to them. And I think it's a really important topic. I imagine you'd agree, too. Yes, I do agree. I mean, life insurance is something that I deal with all the time, uh, not just with the purchase of insurance, just being getting insurance, you know, People ask me, counsel, ask for counsel about what type of life insurance to get, what's mm-hmm. the importance of life insurance, but also if there's an issue with a life insurance claim. If somebody unfortunately passes and there's a claim made and the insurance company is giving difficulty, there's a lot of issues there with life insurance that can be addressed and perhaps stopped if you do the right thing when you purchase life insurance. So there's sure. a lot of stuff out there that consumers should know about in terms of purchasing life insurance and how to deal with life insurance. I find it as part of the conversation similar to wills and trusts where people don't want to talk about it because it obviously uh, is about your death potentially, right? Um, but it's something that you, if you love people, if you, loved your lo- if you love your loved ones, this is not something because I'm sure you've seen the circumstances when either someone doesn't have it or they're not as covered as they thought or they weren't paying their premiums and they weren't eligible anymore. You've probably seen it on the other end, right, where families are really grappling with some really tough stuff. Yes. Um, families expect to be covered. There's a lot of times when they think they have life insurance, that premiums have been paid, that the person who uh, died was paying the premiums, but they may have stopped paying the premiums because of a sickness that led to their death and they're not paying their bills or for other reasons that are, that are denied in the insurance application. And, and that is just heartbreaking breaking when it comes to some of these families who are expecting that source of income to pay for living expenses and to move on with their life after the death of their loved one. It is very heartbreaking. 312-981-7200. That's the phone number. You can text in your questions. You can call them in too. Uh, And let's just start at the beginning. Life insurance. I know a lot of employers offer some of it. Some of it, they don't even deduct anything from it. They give you a carte blanche, 20,000. There's a number that they have for you. 
do a lot of people depend on that, thinking that it's going to cover a lot more than it does? Yes. Okay. I think the statistics today show that half the people have life insurance are through their job, through their employee benefits. Usually, the life insurance that you do get through your job is not sufficient to cover your dependents or if something happens to you or, or, or the unforeseen circumstance of your death because it's it's not much more than your income. It's 10%. I mean, it's like one to two times your income, which could be like a $10,000, $20,000 policy, which may just barely pay for funeral expenses. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people um, just get that automatic uh, life insurance for their job, and they assume that that's enough for covering them without looking into the details of the life insurance, especially the benefit amount. Um, if, if something does happen. Right, because I've seen it on, you know, I just started a new W-2 job and I saw it, you know, on an option to have and it was no cost and I, I don't know what the number was. I think it was 20000 and I was just like, oh, okay, I don't know if that just means they're getting a flat check if I pass away of $20,000. I didn't even open the document. And I imagine a lot of people are like that. Right. They don't know what it means. So open it up and read it, right? Get your employee handbook. Get your benefit documents. If you are relying on your employer to provide this life insurance, make sure you know what type of benefits it is. There may be just standard life insurance. As you said, $20,000. It might be a, an accidental death policy, too, as part of it. There's a lot of uh, group benefits that will have accidental death benefits that if you die accidentally, there'll be more coverage than just straight life insurance. So you want to make sure you see what benefits you have and see if your employer gives you the option to purchase additional because again the standard um, group benefit that you have through your employer is something that probably is not going to cover your loved ones if something happens so you want to see if you can get additional insurance if not then you have to look towards individual policies which is like the other half of people which they do people actually go out and get life insurance because they know that is something that they need for their for their family right so my company uh, offered life insurance a base amount free. They didn't deduct anything for my taxes or for my paycheck, excuse me. But then there was supplemental that you could buy. And I was like, I don't want to do that because you, you know, everyone thinks that well, I'm young, I'm healthy. It's going to be okay. Uh, or that's, you know, my, my uh, assets will cover whatever funeral expenses they were. I've got enough in the bank. I got enough in a 401k. It's never always the case, right? Like, I mean, I think that people maybe overvalue what they think they have in their coffers and then they realize, which maybe wasn't uh, not a great word to use, but they think they have enough in their bank accounts that's going to cover these things. I bet you've seen not at all. No, it, it definitely funeral expenses could be twenty thousand dollars themselves, and and just what the type of planning and what happens from an unforeseen death to your loved ones, to your family, the expenses that are going to mount that they have to deal with it besides the funeral expenses, and then what what do they have to live on? If you're making $100,000 a year, and then you just leave your loved one with 20000 or 10000 in life in benefits, mm-hmm. is that going to really pay, pay for their uh, insurance that they need in the future, like health insurance, auto insurance, your everyday bills? That stuff is going to start, those bills are going to mount. And so it's, it's something you really need to look into as to what type of security you can provide to your family if something were to happen. Great. We're going to get into those other options in a second, but we got a caller on the line. Let's go to Jane. Hey, Jane, you're on WGN. How are you doing on the Saturday? Oh, pretty good. Okay, that's pretty good. We'll take it for it. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question. This is regarding my son. Okay. My son uh, had a job, and they provided, and he paid for, decent life insurance. When the job ended, he continued it. They had an option to continue it, and he's been paying the premiums now for 10 years, but the premiums are pretty high. It's with a, a decent company, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, but my son's health has kind of gone downhill. And oh, no, I'm we sorry. Don't know, we don't know what his options are. 
in terms of can he get some of it out now? Is that what you're asking, or change no, plans? No, no. Or? Um, it, it, could it be converted into? Could it be converted into a different pipe? This is a a continued policy from an employer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they call it. Right, right. Well, I don't know. It's a great question. Let's see if Neil has an answer or we can figure out how we can figure this out. I think once you convert it, as you can when you leave your job, there's some sort of termination with your job or separation. You can convert these policies into into an um, individual policy. Usually, I believe they're a term life policy, which is it's the same death benefit over a term period, 10, 20 years. But you can talk to the company about changing that policy into a whole life maybe or a different type of policy or maybe changing the benefit it the is. The insurance company, not his former employer. You right. talk to the insurance, insurance company. company. Right. I'm sorry, the insurance no, company great. that is the um, holder of the policy. The insurance company is exact who you want to talk to um, and see if well, I, what I your options think, are. I, Go ahead, Jane. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a... Um, it's a term life because he hasn't said that it has any term on it. Mm. So it might be whole he, life insurance? Uh, he, the only problem with it is that uh, I think it's for about a hundred thousand dollars, and the uh, premiums are about twelve hundred a year. So a hundred a month or so. Okay, yeah, it seems pretty pricey. I don't, I don't really know. I, I guess it, is your question. You would need to know more about it. I mean, you called the life insurance company, right, Jane? I think that's the best bet. Well, I haven't. I was just wondering yeah. if it could be con- if it could be converted without a. Health exam. It's a great question. Oh, I see what you're saying because his health has changed. Go ahead, Neil. Yeah, because with his health changing, if you want to increase the benefit or the type of policy, that you might have to have a health exam or they might have to assess his his health to determine what the premium is going to be. But you may have a good premium now. You should just you should not only talk to the a life insurance company, but you can talk to a life insurance agent about your options as well. So that's the best place to go. Okay, the how life does insurance one find a life insurance agent? The best way to probably would be to Google right now, life yeah. insurance agent. But most major insurance companies have sell life insurance policies, so it, it shouldn't be that difficult. Could you call a couple of these companies and ask for their best advisors? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I understand. Could you, do you use the internet very much, Jane, or no? Pardon me? Do you use the internet? Are you cool with the computer and everything? I am. All right, great. Okay. Well, there we go. I would say Google it. Yeah, Google life insurance agents in your area. You know, put your city or your zip code in the search, and you should probably get some good responses that way. Okay. And you can see the ratings okay, often in you. reviews. All right, thanks, thank Jay. you. It's a great question, right? Bye. And yes. it's complicated. This is what it is, it's right? It's very complicated when people leave their jobs and, as you know, their group benefits become now individual policies, and whether it's a whole life or it's a term policy or it's a universal policy, it all depends on what the, the policy terms are because every policy is different. Not every policy is the same, so you have to read your documents. Right. One other thing is to make sure you read your documents and your policies. You can always contact the insurance company, life insurance company, and they could send you the policy to read it. You should always be reading these documents because that's very important. And 217 texted, and I've been in the insurance profession for 12 years. If you have questions, please, 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 all caps, find an advisor to talk to. We'd rather have these conversations before something ever happens than after it does, right? Exactly. Great advice. Right. You want to look into this these issues before something happens. You want to make sure you know what your rights are, what the policy says. So talk to the life insurance company. Talk to your life insurance agent. Talk to somebody who can advise you about your life insurance options and what's in the policies. All right. I've got a question on the line, and we've been using these terms already. So if you were confused during the last conversation, we're going to start answering this now. Term versus whole. In layman's terms, what is a term life insurance? A term life insurance lasts for a specified term. So it would be 
Some can last for five years, some can last up to 20 years. Basically, that during that term, there's a death benefit so that if the insured passes during that term, the insurance company will pay that death benefit. There's no cash value, there's nothing else, it's just a death benefit, meaning the benefits will only be paid upon the death of the insured. So if you have it for 20 years and you die on 20 years plus a day, you don't get the death benefit. Exactly. Or if you don't pay the premiums. Right. So you got to pay the premiums every month or six months or every year. There could be different ways that you could pay the premiums. But as long as you're paying the premiums, you will, there's a death benefit there that if it if you die within that term, then there'll be benefits for the beneficiary. People usually choose it because it's probably cheaper, right? It's cheaper. And, you know, they just, yeah, it's cheaper. Right. That's the, that's the, that's the best way to put it. It's right. cheaper. And maybe you're like, and it makes oh, sense. And it's not that complicated. Right. Because the other insurance policies can be a little bit more complicated. <laughs> 720. WGN. Hey, everyone. It's Let's Get Legal on WGN. We're here till 3.30 today. An extra half an hour. In the next half hour, uh, we're going to be chatting with Dean Vicamar from the University of Illinois about our uh, soon-to-be new Supreme Court justice, the vote coming up next week. But we're continuing our conversation with Neil Gainsburg, an experienced injury attorney, talking today about life insurance. And I want to ask Neil, before we get to these next questions, is... You know, you're an injury attorney, but you cover, we've talked about health insurance, about new laws there. We talked about insurance. Is this just, are these things that often come up in your cases and you're just, this is what you want to bring to the public? Yes. Yeah, so uh, practicing as an injury lawyer, you're dealing with insurance. When people get injured, they have to deal with health insurance. They have to deal with auto insurance. So you're dealing with insurance companies. And part of my practice also involves life insurance because there's a lot of times when life insurance actually will deny claims and the denials may not be proper or legal and they will seek my counsel or... They will call me and I will help people get life insurance benefits when it's improperly denied. So I, I deal with all these insurance issues just from being a personal injury lawyer. And we're we're going to get to the denial in a bit. I want to ask, because we did term life insurance, what is, in, in layman's terms, because there's a lot, because whole life insurance is a whole more uh, uh, confusing. What is it? So whole life insurance is lifetime coverage. So it's okay. a lifetime guarantee of coverage. Um, and it's just paying premiums at a fixed rate for your lifetime. And the way the policies work is that part of the premiums can become cash value. So there's cash value that's built up based on the terms of the policy. Every policy is different in, in how much cash value it's So you're be. accumulating money in exactly. a bank, essentially. So, right. It's like having a bank account. Does it earn um, interest? or No, it doesn't earn anything in a cash value. That's a universal policy. Uh -huh. or there's an investment component to it. Okay. But a whole life just has... It, it, they can pay out dividends. Let me say that. So okay. the insurance company can pay out dividends in a... a a whole life situation. So you can't earn money in these types of policies. So it's it's not just providing insurance, but it's also providing cash back for the uh, purchaser of the insurance, the insured. And when do you get that money back for cash back? There's well, you could, there's different circumstances, the right? Circum the best, you could cash out, you could end the policy. So in, unlike a term policy, if you stop paying the premiums, you get nothing. Right. In a whole life policy, if you stop paying the premiums, you don't want the insurance anymore, you'll get whatever cash value has accumulated. Okay. You could also take a loan out. So on these the are policies, value. yes, okay. they do allow you to take loans out on the cash value if you need some sort of money situation and the loan rate may not be that high, maybe low, whatever it is. You got to look at it again at the terms of the policy, but it, it gives you an opportunity to take a loan out. So, so there's some financial tools with this cash value. So um, maybe more comprehensive, maybe a little bit more expensive, but there's a cash value that's accumulating. Exactly. So okay. it'll be more expensive than term, and, okay. but it will give you some sort of benefits other than a death benefit. Right. And that it doesn't end on a specific day. And if you die the next day, it's, it's too late. Sorry, buddy. All right, let's go to the phone lines and we're going to sue hello sue how are you doing i'm great how are you doing great what's your question for neil so here's my question i apologize for the background i'm in the car on the way to champagne oh uh so yeah so 
my husband tells me I should know these things. He took out a, uh, what is not a very big life policy, uh, insurance policy because he was the main breadwinner for a long time. And now I'm working full time, got a couple of kids in college, another one in another year. And I feel like my value is, is a lot higher now. And and I, I get concerned. The thing is, I had a very rare type of cancer that I'm, like, doing so well. It's oh, good. Out of my body. Oh, and wonderful. I am now think I, I mean, there's, like, less than a 3% chance, they say, it could come back. And mm-hmm. so, the, you know, I think about this, and I think, well, I'll never be able to get any kind of life insurance. It's going to cost me, like, a fortune. Um, I don't know. So I don't know wonder, what to think. Yeah, so you're just wondering, should you get your own life insurance if policy? I, if I can get any more, because I think what he got out on me is not very sizable. Mm, interesting. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Neil, what's your thoughts on that, generally speaking? She should be able to get life insurance. You know, she's relatively healthy now. Right. She's in remission or, or the cancer's gone away. There yeah, be- it was thyroid cancer, but it's just very, like, everything. If they, I don't know how they examine these things because... That's a great like, question. Literally, yeah, how does that process yeah. work? So, how yeah, does- I mean, it's actuaries that, well, the insurance company hires. They figured out what the premium will be. Your premium may be a little bit higher, but you should be able to get insurance. I mean, I don't want to ask you your age, but that will be a question, too, about what your age is, you know, your lifestyle. You yeah. have to answer questions and stuff like that and probably doing a medical exam so they can do get a full health assessment of you. And But you should talk to a life insurance yeah. agent. Talk to a life insurance company, you know, find some agent in your area, and they should be able to give you quotes and different options for you know, term policies, yep. whole life, and yep. all that stuff, and you can make a I just, informed you know, decision. The, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, you, that's ultimately fact-based decision-making rather than trying to come to your own conclusions, right? Yeah, you know, and Sue, are, are you worried that because you had cancer that they, they, they wouldn't delineate between different forms or different types of remission or where you are in your stage that you're kind of carrying some extra burden for them is that like your kind of underlying concern deep down um well my concern is more like i i really believe that i am healthy and i mean i i'm not concerned about it coming back i'm not i don't think anything but well they're gonna they're gonna look at it crap i've got i've got four kids and i've got two kids in college and another one and another one and so it's like i'm just like you know, I don't care if my husband says, oh, I've got enough life insurance, God forbid something happens to me. I'm just kind of like, I feel like my value these next number of years is, is real critical. Right. And I, I want to have, know that they're going to be okay. I love where your head is at, Susan. I, I would ask, are you still married with your husband currently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would first and foremost make him show you the paperwork. Copy it. No, seriously, read right? The, like, read the policy. I know, and I know. I, and, I've, and you're not in a I'm sure you guys are in a loving and it's all great. And it, But like, <laughs> sit down and pull out the paperwork and make him show you because you should know, right? Like, empower your... You seem like a very strong-headed, strong-willed person who's rocking it. She's driving the champagne probably to pick up or take back one of those children after their spring break or something. So find out what that is and then... Start making some calls, right? And I yeah, think, absolutely. And I th- after that, I'm going to Nashville to visit my daughter. So there hey, we go. Man, yeehaw! Yeah, and if you have the <laughs> if you have the financial means, look into life insurance because it is a good investment, especially with your children. Yep. Yes, it's a very good investment. If you have that extra income, use it for life insurance, and you should be able to get some sort of rates once you talk to an insurance agent about what the amount Sounds you can great. get. Thank you. Have we You're motivated welcome. you, Sue? 
I think so. All right. Enjoy the rest of your ride down 57, okay? Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Exactly. Okay, bye-bye. I'll be in Champaign next week. Neil, we got to take a break. Jeanette, stay on the line. We're going to get to you next here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. If someone is leaving the car, I just want to make sure, GainsburgLaw.com, G-A-I-N-S-B-E-R-G, Law.com talk with Neil and his folks over there. Let's get legal powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Our guest right now, Neil Gainsburg. We're talking about all things life insurance and some great questions. Let's go to Jeanette. Jeanette, how are you doing here this uh, afternoon? I am fine. I am fine, John, and hi, gentlemen. Oh, hello. Uh, hello. I, I have a uh, small paid up life insurance. It was whole life. And uh, it's sitting there with no interest accruing, and I was wondering if I took it out and invested, would that be a good story, or am I losing my uh, no-tax availability? Oh, that's a... It might be more of a financial advisor question. Neil, I don't want to have you wade into that if you don't feel comfortable. That's a great question, Jeanette. I mean, the only thing I... I could think of with something like that is if there's a benefit there and you take it out, you lose the death benefit. So if right. you still need the death benefit, you should not consider taking it out. If it's not earning any money, um, then you're not – I mean, the tax consequences don't seem to be that significant right, because like, there's no earning. There's no income being earned. Yes, it's a very small uh, – I'll right. tell you what it is. It's 22000 <laughs> As a benefit and, uh, or in the cash amount? It's totally paid up, and that would be cash. You okay. know uh, – it's the mine. I believe that's the same. Like, so it's yes, yeah, twenty thousand. So she could either take it out or keep it there. It's up oh, to you whether you think yeah. you could do well uh-huh. investing it. That's something. Talk to an investment advisor. See if you can make more money uh, investing w- it some way. I will say, Jeanette. I don't know off the top. Maybe you do, Neil. But if she takes it out, is that considered income on her next taxes? She's going to get dinged for the taxes before yeah. she invests it somewhere else. That's a great question. I, I, I don't know. I don't. If it hasn't increased in value and it's a premium, it's based on the premium she put in. Then it should be, be taxable. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's something that you paid through the premiums. It's, it's paid in policy. So right. it be, I just. Don't I don't think s- there's any tax consequences. But talk to your accountant about that. Yeah, issue. I don't want to answer that question for sure. Jeanette, can you hang on the line with Connor and just make sure that we got your information because I'm going to talk to someone on the Money Show and try and get an answer for you. Okay. Oh, how nice. Yeah, yes, see, it's a full-service okay. stop here when you call in. So uh, let's get legal. <laughs> Thanks, Jeanette. Hang I'll on the line. We're going to get you. Often. Yeah, there we go. Have a good Thank one, all right? You. 312-981-7200 if you've got questions. I'm sure some accounts will be texting in, the an- or texting in the answer anyways. I appreciate it if they do. 312-981-7200. Just because you have it, you should make sure that, I guess what I'm asking you, Neil, is, there are chances, and insurance companies are going to do this, where they try and deny it, right? Yes. And they're allowed to in certain circumstances, and they're not to in others. So give us a little bit of the why they deny it sometimes. Well, the first reason it, there's denials is because premiums aren't paid. Okay. So if somebody has life insurance on themselves you know, with, the, with their family, and, and they just stop paying the premiums. If well, that yeah, happens, that. there's nothing you can do. Um, unfortunately... There's only a 30-day grace period. Everybody should know that. If they don't pay the premiums within 30 days of the grace period, the, the policy will cancel if it's not the premiums are not paid. Um, the only notice that the insurance company has to do is mail something. Mm. That's the only – the law only requires mailing within 10 days of cancellation. So there's, you're not going to get a lot of notice of it. So if you're relying on a loved one to make the payments, make sure they're making the payments. Sometimes people are paying automatically through a, a credit card or debit card. If you change credit cards oh, or debit yeah. cards – 
make sure I've seen that before. Like, you know, I, I, I thought I was paying it because uh, it was automatic payments. Oh, I changed my credit card. When my credit card company called my life insurance company? No, that's not going to happen. You need to take that extra step that if you change your credit card and you're on automatic payments, that you call your life insurance company and your bank or your credit card company and make sure that they are on the same page. Can they deny that. all the benefits or would they sometimes maybe deny up to the point in which you would pay? It just depends if, on the case. If it's a term policy, you're all term, your benefits, right. yeah, are denied. Gone, right. And if it's a universal, if there's cash value, you can use the cash value for the premiums. But if there's no cash value, then that those benefits will be uh-huh. gone too. Okay. So you got to make sure that the premiums are paid and that if somebody is get sent off in time, somebody gets sick and they have this life insurance and they stop paying their bills because they're sick. So oh. you got to make sure you got to do that. It's the worst that time to stop time. paying. Jeez. Exactly. So All right. everybody's got to be. The other issue is um, contestability. In the first two years of a life insurance policy, the insurance company can contest the application to see if there's any sort of misrepresentation in the application. So every time somebody fills out an individual life insurance, they have to answer questions about medical history, weight and height, those issues. you got to make sure you answer them correctly. This is not a time to fudge your weight or anything like that because if something happens in those first two years and they go and review it and they find that there's there's something inaccurate in that application, they could view it as misrepresentations and deny the claim. When you file an application, do you have to give all the doctor's information? How does that work? Yes. You need to give all your doctor's information. They ask, like, who have you seen in the last 10 years? you got to try to do your best to list everybody you've seen in the last 10, sometimes five years, 10 years doctors you've seen and, and ailments that you've been diagnosed with that you know about. Um, if you, know, you lie about your weight in a significant way and you get past this review period two years, so this is like 10 years later, and you think you're in the clear, can they go back into your records and they look at the moment that you signed that thing, and if you're lying, and this was 20 years ago, they're going to ding you for it? No, because there's only two-year contestability okay. period. So as long as long if after two years you're fine with the misrepresentations, but a lot you of times lie. I'm not saying yeah, that. But. A lot of times though, people get life insurance because they they fear something, and unfortunately something happens in that two years. So if you do, you're going to get life insurance. There's still two years that the insurance company can contest it. So make sure you answer those questions correctly, because if not, if they find misrepresentations or inaccuracies in your application, they will deny the claim in those first two years. What about if I pass away 25 years after I did it? I gained 30 pounds in that time. Uh, can they deny it for that or no? It's about based on when you bought it. Yeah, when you bought it. So, you, and again, it's two years. They only have two years. After two years, it, the, the policies are pretty much incontestable on this misrepresentation. I'm issue. just saying, gaining weight, losing weight, you don't have to like continually update them on. Your no, once situation. the policy is issued, then you're fine. It's, it's at the time of the application. So they, they're just looking at when you answer those questions at the time of the application. And I had a case where somebody said they weighed something, and then they died within those two years, and they got medical records from that same time that they answer those questions on the applications and there was a, uh, a discrepancy and so they denied it based on the misrepresentation of the weight. Is it just weight or is it everything? They ask you... Height, uh, family history, smoking, medical conditions that you've had, alcohol, do you use alcohol, drug use, stuff like that, all sort of health questions that you need to look at these questions. It's not something that you think that you can fudge here because that, that in those two years it could be contested so you should try to be accurate because that's what they use to determine premiums as well. So... Um, it's very important that you, you look at these applications, you read them, and you fill them out correctly. Right. 312-981-7200, running out of time. If we don't get to a couple more questions, where should people reach you, Neil Gainsburg? Uh, they can go to my website, GainsburgLaw.com. They can call my office at 312-600-9585. Again, that's 312-600-9585. Are there any general resources besides you that people can go to here in Illinois that you think might be useful for them if they've got some individual questions as well, in addition to reaching 
reaching out to you or right maybe beforehand? Yes. So they can go to the Illinois Department of Insurance website, Google Illinois Department of Insurance. They have a website that answers questions about life insurance, about you know companies of life, life insurance companies, about different types of policies and, and claims issues. And they have general resources for uh, the public out there. That's a very good source of information for anybody who wants more information about a life insurance question. We've gotten a ton of texts and calls. We weren't even able to get to them, and I still see the phone lines are lighting up. Connor, go ahead and answer them, and uh, get. we'll try and get those questions. We'll try and link them up afterwards, okay? Neil, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, let's take a break. Then the news from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. Hey, everyone. Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, rolls on into a bonus half hour. Yes, we are normally a two-hour show. And we're going to go two and a half as we take you up to the basketball game you just heard Kevin talking about. We've uh, kind of done a lot of to get you on the plate for your homework here. If you're behind on your taxes, talk to Stephen Leahy. So many great questions about insurance. Get those with Neil Gainsburg. And after the break, we're going to chat with, uh, we're going to zoom out a little bit and talk about the Supreme Court uh, nominations. We haven't, well, we haven't been on the last two weeks. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about, obviously, one of the most important legal stories that you get you don't get it all that often. A new Supreme Court justice. It looks like it'll happen next week. Confirmation. And then Katanji Brown-Jackson sworn in after the retirement of Breyer, which will take place after that. Anyways, the dean of the University of Illinois Law School going to join us to chat us a little behind that. And if you have any questions about how things work behind the scenes at the Supreme Court, he's a great uh, person to answer those questions because he clerked for the United States Supreme Court. WGN, a bonus half hour of Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association before the semifinal games. I do wish the University of Illinois was represented in a deep tournament run. I'm sure Dean Vicamar from the College of Law at the University of Illinois wishes it too, but our Illini, man, that didn't go as deep as we wanted, my friend. Yeah, that was disappointing, but hopefully they'll be back next year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm so glad to chat with you. Thanks for hopping on the line with us here again, and I'm so excited anytime we get a chance to talk Supreme Court stuff, and no matter where the vacancy is, which side of the aisle gets to pick it, it's a big deal when a new justice is uh, confirmed and will take over, and this one, of course, historic in many ways too, Dean. Yeah, the first uh, African-American woman nominated to the court, and uh, it seems pretty likely to me, will be confirmed and take her seat on the court. And as you pointed out, uh, everybody who gets confirmed to the Supreme Court is likely to serve many years, indeed several decades. So um, Judge Judge Jackson could be Justice Jackson for 30, 40 more plus, plus years. Right. It is just huge because each justice brings with it, obviously, their own personal experiences. And I find that and even the Republicans who were, you know, very critical in some ways of some of her past decisions, a lot of Republicans did credit the fact of a public education as a benefit that she had before going to college and also roles as a public defender. I think that we want a Supreme Court, not only from a, you know, uh, race perspective and a gender perspective, I, mean, I think a lot of people get behind the idea of a Supreme Court that is representative of different human experiences and, and different parts of the legal world coming together. Yeah, indeed. I think some people care more about experiential diversity than demographic, that is, race and gender diversity. Uh, and uh, just, Judge Jackson brings uh, a lot of, of all of it. 
Yeah, for sure. As I look through the vote totals for previous justices, of course, under President Trump, you had three fairly close votes uh, with Neil Gorsuch getting the most Democratic support. Uh, But you go back to President Obama and both his nominees, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, getting 63 and 68 yay votes, respectively. Uh, John Roberts getting 78 votes to be confirmed. And then you go before that under President Clinton, and except for the Clarence Thomas nomination into the the, the 90s and the Borg denial, you had extremely bipartisan support for Supreme Court justices. The role that the Senate plays is advise and consent, and, and someone you clerked for, Harry Blackman, Justice Blackman, was was unanimously confirmed, 94 nothing. I don't know where I'm going with this, uh, Dean, because I know you were more react to what's happening, but... Do we miss the days where the advice of the Senate was just to take a look at their record and and were they are they worthy of that court? Have things become too political in your mind? Well, uh, yes and no. Certainly, things have come too politi- become too political. Um, now the votes are almost straight down party lines. So it was big news this week when Republican Senator Susan Collins announced that she intended to vote for Judge Jackson's confirmation. And and Senator Collins, by the way, voted against uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation. So Mm -hmm. she has uh, uh, switched sides um, uh, twice now if she follows through on her pledge to vote for Judge Jackson. So nowadays, it really just matters, you know, which party has control of the Senate. It's hard to imagine uh, confirming somebody um, uh, when you don't have 50 plus votes uh, in your party in the Senate. Now, that's that's bad, but I'm not sure the so-called good old days where we looked only at people's paper credentials is the right way to go either for the simple reason that just as the president decides who to nominate based in significant part on a prediction of how that person is going to rule in future cases and in which direction that person might take the the country's constitutional future. There's no reason why the Senate can't also take into account that that substance, that is to say, to look at somebody's uh, uh, approach to law, somebody's uh, vision of what the Constitution means and various of its most important provisions, and take that into account moving forward. Now, Again, I don't think that's what senators are doing now. They're just voting against uh, nominees of, of presidents of the opposing party. Um, so we, we definitely are too partisan and too tribal and too political. But uh, I think there's a wide berth between that and just looking to see whether someone went to a good law school like Yale or the U of I or Harvard, uh, and, uh, and that's good enough. Uh, I think it is appropriate for the Senate to ask questions of the nominees to get a feel for what they're likely to think the Constitution means. Indeed, I think in the past 20 years, nominees have gotten away, and this is true on both sides of the aisle, they've gotten away without answering very fair and very tough questions. Uh, For example, senators will ask a nominee, what do you think of this past ruling by the Supreme Court? Um, uh, You weren't on the court, but but there was a majority opinion and there were dissents. Which one do you think got the better of it? Is the majority uh, more right or is the dissent more right? And the nominee will say, well, uh, Senator, I can't answer that because that issue might come back before the court and I don't want to be viewed as having prejudged the issue. Well, that's everything. Garbage. Yeah. But But that's garbage. The justices themselves on the court rendered that past ruling 
and they get to decide, they get to sit in a future case when that issue in that ruling comes back. There's no there's nothing in judicial ethics that says you have to have an empty mind. You just have to have an open mind. Right. So well, the way to answer that question would be to say, well, Senator, I, I can't promise how I rule. And I would always read the briefs and I would always rethink about uh, rethink everything. But I can tell you, based on what I read in those opinions, here's what I thought uh, made sense from this opinion and why I thought it was uh, on, on balance more convincing than that opinion. But, but nominees have nothing to gain and everything to lose by uh, being honest and, and candid. That's what happened to Robert Pork. Robert Pork answered those questions, and it only hurt him. So the lesson since then has been just clam up, and if your party has the votes, you get through. Right. I was going to say, because I agree, I would love to hear more honesty in the confirmation hearings, but I think that the uh, prospective justices that are being grilled recognize that they don't have honest brokers at and asking the questions. They're looking for gotcha TV movements. So who's supposed that, to budge, right? True. Like, how do we get to so, a so more we equitable need, what, situation? What we need, right. So what we need are a group of of courageous senators to say, um, I generally oppose your views, but if you're honest with me about what they are, likely vote for you because you are obviously um, a a well-credentialed and qualified and i want to change the culture of the senate so i'm going to take a stand and say if you answer these questions honestly even if i don't uh, share your sense of what the constitution means in every uh, important respect i'm going to give you uh, the benefit of the doubt and i will vote to confirm you or conversely someone should say you're of the same party. Uh, uh, you, the, the president who appointed you is of the same party that I am. And I'm, th- I'm guessing that you and I see most of the Constitution the same way. But in spite of that, I'm not going to vote to confirm you unless you answer my questions about these 10 cases uh, fully and fairly, because I think the Senate has a proper role to play here. And I'm not just a Democrat. I'm also a senator. And I want to make sure that the Senate going forward has an ability to do its job just as the president can do her job. Interesting. I I, I think I see exactly where you're saying is that we maybe shouldn't resort to the days where Antonin Scalia, amongst any others, uh, get a 98-0 vote just because, but we don't need to be where we are now where we are playing gotcha questions about specific cases that, by the way, other justices in the past have ruled the exact same way, and they the party had no problem voting for them then. So it's got to be honest dialogue back and forth, an honest look at things. It doesn't have to be unanimous, but we should take a better look at things. You're exactly right. It, it doesn't have to be what it is today, but that doesn't mean that people can't object to Robert Bork or Antonin Scalia uh, or on the other side of the aisle, uh, Justice Sotomayor. Right. Uh, she may uh, have, have, have appeared just as, uh, you know, knee-jerkedly, uh, reflexively liberal as, as Scalia was conservative. And maybe uh, people could legitimately say, that's not what I think uh, the Constitution means, and therefore I'm not going to vote for you. But, but there, as I said, there's a wide gap between rubber stamp based on paper credentials and where we are now. It's interesting, Dean. I don't know. I, I don't know why I thought maybe you would just see that the Senate, their role is advice and consent, and it's more of a rubber stamp. I don't know. I usually take more of that view because I feel like the founding fathers would have laid it out a little clearer if they really wanted intense debate. And I just feel that they just—it's supposed to be a check mark that the person's sane and qualified. But you obviously well, feel I, like I, we are entitled to more. Well, I'd say a few things. First of all, the word consent means uh, you know you have to agree. Uh, um, uh, when you, you consent to a document uh, at the bottom of the, that screen, when you, chick, you click consent, you're saying, I agree with this. 
It turns out even George Washington, the first president, had nominations to the Supreme Court rejected by the Senate. It's important here to draw a distinction between uh, nominations to the federal bench, especially the Supreme Court on the one hand, and nominations to executive positions like the cabinet on the other hand. With regard to executive and cabinet positions, the Senate have historically been much more of a rubber stamp, which makes sense because cabinet members and executive branch officials are part of the president's team. They are supposed to execute the president's will. They leave when the president leaves office, etc. Members of the judiciary are not part of the president's team. They're part of a third independent branch. They stay way past the president. Um, in many instances, decades and decades past the president who appointed them. And so there's no reason why the Senate, which is elected um, uh, just like the, the president is elected by the whole country, uh, can't be a partner in this process. Right. So you feel the Senate is a really important check to the three equal branches of the government. In theory, it was supposed to be. Uh, that's why uh, they were given this this function. Uh, structurally in the Constitution, there's nothing to indicate uh, that uh, just because you come second in, in the process, because the president goes first by nominating, that you're not entitled to take into account the same considerations. And, of course, presidents uh, think carefully about what someone is likely to do when they're on the bench in terms of what they think the Constitution means uh, when, they just, when the president decides to appoint that person. So if the president can take it into account, and we know they do, then, and then uh, as a structural matter and a textual matter and a historical matter, under the Constitution, there's no reason the Senate can't as well. Now, of course, the president has advantages by going first in this game. Right. Because once you once you put someone in front of the country um, and in front of the Senate who has a compelling life story and who has a, a really strong paper resume, that's going to make it a lot harder for a Senate to reject somebody. Um, it's, it's like a lot of games. In tennis, it's probably better to serve. In chess, it's right. better uh, to move first if you're white. So there is a first mover advantage. But that doesn't mean that the other side can't uh, take into account the same things that, that the first mover did. Dean Amar, I'm almost like chuckling at myself that I just decided to wade into a constitutional debate with the uh, University of Illinois Law Dean. <laughs> discussion, not debate. Discussion, my friend. I, uh, I'm almost like, hey, I need to check uh, check myself a little bit. Uh, Dean Vigamar, I'm going to put you on hold for a second. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then I want to find out just how uh, interesting it'll be to see how a new justice is able to make her mark, as it seems to be. Can't hear myself. There we go. Just a couple more minutes left here on Let's Get Legal Powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Sorry about that. A couple more minutes here with Dean Vigamar of the University of Illinois as I continue to try and discuss checks and balances with someone who graduated from Yale Law School. That's always fun to listen to. Uh, Dean, uh, just one quick question here for you before we let you go. Uh, Was there anything from the hearing or your understanding or reading of uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, Judge uh, Jackson, about how she'll be as a a Supreme Court justice? I think it's always interesting to prognosticate, but of course we never know for sure, do we? We don't, uh, and that's one of the beauties of of having life tenure and independence of the judiciary. And just to to kind of clarify one thing from our previous uh, uh, segment, to say that you, uh, the Senate can and should take into account uh, the substantive likelihood that the uh, nominee will vote in certain ways doesn't mean that a senator should insist that the nominee agree with the senator straight down the line. Right. It, nobody is a clone. So you, we never confirm anybody if, if the right. standard were, are you, do you are your views identical to mine? Right. So senators have to have some give here, but, th- but that doesn't mean they have to be rubber stamps either. Right. So to answer your question. Uh, I should point out that the, the University of Illinois College of Law in Urbana-Champaign uh, was asked 
along with Stanford Law School, to put together a group of faculty to read Judge Jackson's opinions to assist the ABA committee, the American Bar Association committee, that that ranks uh, or rates, I should say, professor uh, uh, nominees as well-qualified, qualified, qualified or, or unqualified. So I and my colleagues at Illinois, a dozen of them or so, 14 of them or so, we read uh, hundreds and hundreds of, ju- of Judge Jackson's opinion. I read uh, 25 or 30 myself. So I can tell you she's a very careful uh, a lower court judge. Now, a lower court judge is bound by higher court precedent, so I don't know if she agreed with everything that right. she had to write, but, but she was a very technically competent and careful and balanced and fair lower court judge, and I expect her to be that when she gets to the court. Uh, will she be likely a liberal voice on the court? I think so. I hope so, because the court needs some balance. The one thing I'll say, um, uh, and I know you're running out of time, but uh, I hope she is actually more strategic than the person that she's going to replace, uh, Steve Breyer, Justice Breyer, whom she clerked for, by the way. She she worked for Justice Breyer after after graduating from Harvard Law School. Justice Breyer is a tremendously smart person um, uh, uh, and a careful judge, but he didn't really... Uh, make a huge mark in many right. areas of law. Dean, I, I, I don't think he yeah, went I, into it that way, and I, I hope that she does. I appreciate that. I, I apologize for cutting off. We're right on time, but we'll have to dive in that next time. Dean Vicamar, thanks for hopping on, okay? My pleasure. Take care. Ah, I always need more time with Dean Amar, and we'll do that another time. Let's get legal uh, power by the Illinois State Bar Association next Saturday at 3 o'clock.